and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been cut by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they, traveled, they, they tried to enter through Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen this, the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Smothras, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Well, good morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Bijan, the pastor for our church, and really excited to be gathered together today. If you came a little bit late, you missed that in the beginning, we said that just after our sermon today, we're going to sing together and then head outside for baptism. And so this is a really special Sunday for us here at church, and really glad that you're here. So more on that in just a few minutes. But for now, we're going to take a look at Acts 16 as we continue our series in Church Alive. Please pray with me as we get to work in God's Word. Our God, we thank you for this chance to gather, to listen, and to learn from your word, and we ask for the filling, the power of your spirit, even as we spend this time unpacking what's here and seeing what it means for us. So be with us now, we pray, for your glory and for our good, as we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, we are in a series titled Church Alive, and what we're doing is we're looking at the book of Acts, and each week we're asking the question, What was it that made the earliest Christian church alive? How were they able to live with such joy and with such hope that it actually changed their cities and actually the whole world with the good news of Jesus? And the reason we're asking that question is because we want to be a church alive in London. We want to be a community that brings wholeness and healing in our city and in our communities. And so what does it mean for us today to be a church alive. Now, within this big series, we've been spending a couple of weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. Last week, if you were here, we said that one of the marks of a church alive is that they are filled with the Spirit. And today, what we're going to see is a church alive is a church that's led by the Spirit. What does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? And here in Acts 16 is a really helpful passage to get an insight into how the early church was sensitive to, led by, guided by the Spirit of Jesus. Acts 16, we find Paul and a few of his friends on a trip. They're journeying around and they're starting and strengthening new churches. And here we see this incredibly nuanced picture of what it means to be led by the Spirit. And so, a couple things I want to show you today as we look at this passage. The first is something about the role of the Spirit and the nature of the Christian life. 
So what do we learn about what it means to be a Christian from these verses? Then second, we're going to talk about what it means to be led by the Spirit. How does the Spirit lead his people? And then third, we'll see the gift of grace, that which it all rests upon. So the nature of the Christian life, how the Spirit leads you, and the gift of grace that we all need. So first, this passage shows us something about the nature of the Christian life. Now, I promise that in a few minutes, we're going to shift our attention and we're going to talk about how the Spirit of God leads his people. It's a practical question. It's an important question. But before we get there, we actually have to spend a moment reflecting on what this passage says about what it means to be a Christian. This is a really important place to start. Two things I want to show you about the nature of the Christian life. And the first is being led by the Spirit is the normal Christian life. To be led by the Spirit is the normal Christian life. Glance with me, if you would, at verses 6 and 7. So the author Luke, writing this account, look at what he says. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Then verse 7, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now here's what I find so interesting. Luke is describing this activity of the Holy Spirit, and he's doing so in the most ordinary way. You know, if you and I had this absolute clarity that the Spirit of God was at work, we would be saying, oh my gosh, wow, the Spirit did this and the Spirit did that. But when Luke writes about it, he uses the most ordinary language. It's normal, it's commonplace for these people to be led by the Spirit. It's almost as if, in Luke's mind as he writes this account, the presence of the Spirit is just like another friend on Paul's journey. He's that closely related. He's that intimately connected. And the first takeaway for us to realize is that the Spirit-led life, moving through your world sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that's the normal Christian life. We need to know that because sometimes we hear or we feel like being filled with the Spirit or being led by the Spirit. Well, that's for the super-Christians. That's for the Christians who know a lot of Bible or theology. That's for the Christians who don't ever struggle with doubt or sin. That's for the elites in the church. That's the VIP lane to get your coffee. But what we see here in the book of Acts is, no, this is the ordinary Christian life. And Luke is able to talk about the way the Spirit is leading and guiding his people as if the Spirit is just another friend on the journey. So friends, if you're a Christian here today, this is for you a spirit-led life. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you don't identify as a follower of Jesus, this is really important for you. Because as you're exploring and investigating what would it mean to follow Jesus, you've got to see that to be led by the Spirit means being a Christian is more than just knowing things. It's experiencing something. To be a Christian is to be in a relationship with the living God manifest by his spirit that actually walks with you every day of your life. Being a Christian is not just learning facts and knowing things, it's experiencing the power and the presence of God with you. This is the normal Christian life. But the second thing that it shows us about what it means to be a Christian is that being led by the spirit is your power. It's the power for the Christian life. Here's what's fascinating. Here in the book of Acts, 
These apostles, Paul and others, these who are going around planting churches and starting new churches and strengthening other Christians, these were people who had spent time with the living physical Jesus. I mean, they went to the, their school of ministry was with Jesus himself. Jesus taught them. Jesus was with them. Jesus had meals with them. Jesus gave his life to them. And now they, as they're going out to do the work of strengthening others and planting churches, guess what? Even they need the Holy Spirit. Those who spent time with the physical Jesus could not do this work without the power of the Spirit. And if that's true, how much more for you and I? If they needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? And you know, this cuts right against the grain of culture. Because modern culture, sort of what we hear in stories and in music and media, modern culture tells us that everything you need for life, you can find if you just look inside yourself. So you just look within, you see what's there, and you develop the inner strength and resources to face whatever comes. Now, there's some of that that's healthy and true, but the fact is, can't we all acknowledge that there are moments, there are seasons in life, and especially when you face suffering, where you get to the end of yourself and you realize that actually I can't face life on my own. I don't have the resources and the strength to navigate all of life's challenges by myself. I need help from the outside. And when you get to that spot and you find the freedom and the courage to say, I can't do it alone, I need help, that's where Christianity meets you with good news. Because Christianity says, you can't do life on your own and you don't have to. God sends his spirit to be with you and to bring power into your life to equip you to face whatever comes, to equip you to represent God in your world and in your city. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming into the lives of his people, he uses this really interesting Greek word. The word he uses is paraclete. And it literally means one who comes alongside. It's actually a difficult word for us to translate into English because its meaning is so manifest, it's so varied. And that's why throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is given different words or titles to describe how he comes alongside you. So as you're living your life, let's say you're weighed down by guilt and accusation. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you as your advocate, your defender. Others are feeling unsure and anxious about the future. What should I do and where should I go? Scripture says that the Holy Spirit comes alongside you as a counselor. For others, your heart is broken. You're weighed down by sadness. You're grieving. Scripture says that the Spirit comes alongside you as a comforter. And for those of you who today are excited, you're ambitious, you're looking forward to the future, the Spirit comes alongside you as a guide, as a teacher. In other words, wherever you are and whatever you need, the Spirit of God comes alongside his people to help us, to be with you. The Spirit is the power for life. It's the power for Christian living. You can't do this on your own, and you don't need to. That's what we learn about the Holy Spirit and the nature of the Christian life. This is the ordinary Christian life and the power for living. So, with that said, with that foundation in place, let's now turn and ask the practical question, how does the Spirit of God lead his people?
We're going to try to get practical here. And here's the first thing to say. There is no formula. I admit this is frustrating. I love formulas. I love clarity. I want a game plan. The Spirit of God, as he leads his people, there is no formula. Jesus himself said that the Spirit blows like the wind wherever it wishes. And you can't say where it's coming or where it's going. So right off the bat, we have to acknowledge there's a bit of mystery here. There is no formula because the Spirit is a person. It's a dynamic relationship. So even though there isn't a formula, there are principles. Principles that we can see in God's Word that I think if we learn them will help us to be sensitive to and to be led by the Spirit. So moving through Acts 16, I want to give you five principles. Five things that if we learn it, it's going to help us to be more sensitive to the Spirit's leading in our life. So five principles. Here we go. First, the Spirit of God and the Word of God always work in tandem. The Spirit of God and the Word of God always work in tandem. So Acts 16, what's happening? Paul and his team are traveling around trying to plant churches. Why are they doing that? Why are they going around on mission? And the answer is because Jesus told them to. Jesus in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1 said, go into all the world and make disciples. So what did they have? They had the clear word of God to them, go and make disciples. That's the word of God. And now what are they doing in Acts 16? They're being sensitive to the leading of the Spirit in specific ways. So they had the general command of God, make disciples. And now they're following the specific leading of the Spirit. Okay, not in Asia, not yet, not yet in Bithynia. Oh, that's right, let's go to Macedonia. So they have a general command and now they're following specific guidance. The Spirit and the Word, never in competition, but always in tandem. That's important. Because there are some Christians, some traditions, that so emphasize leaning or relying on the Spirit, which again is crucial, but they can do so in such a way that almost minimizes the importance of Scripture. They sort of downplay teaching and doctrine. And they think about the leading of the Spirit as almost a magical kind of thing. On the other hand, there are some Christians and churches and traditions that so emphasize teaching and doctrine that they minimize living by the Spirit and leaning on the Spirit. And so what we want to do as a church is avoid both extremes and say we are taught by Scripture and we are led by the Spirit. We want to live in that middle space where our being led by the Spirit and being shaped by Scripture go hand in hand. J.D. Greer has a great book on the Holy Spirit. It's called Jesus Continued. I'd recommend it if you want to read a lot more about the topic. But he, in describing the relationship of how the Spirit and the Word work together, he puts it like this, very helpfully. The Word commands us to obey. The Spirit beckons us to follow. The Word gives us promises, but the Spirit compels us to take risk. The Word outlines the mission and the Spirit inspires a vision. The Word sets our expectations, and the Spirit inspires our dreams. The Word provides the content, and the Spirit brings conviction. Always in tandem, never competitive, the Word and the Spirit. And so, what does the Spirit-led life look like? It looks like a Scripture-saturated life. If we're going to be a people led by the Spirit, we're going to be people whose noses are in the book 
who are shaped by Scripture. That's the first principle. Second, the Spirit of God will lead you as you move. One author puts it this way, God steers moving ships. Paul and his friends were not sitting on the sofa saying, well, until God tells us what to do, we're going to play video games. Nothing wrong with video games, by the way. But they're moving. They're working. They've been given a command by Jesus, make disciples. So they say, let's knock on this door. Let's go in this direction. Let's try this out. And as they're living, as they're moving, as they're trying stuff, the Spirit guides them. The Spirit moves and guides as we move and guide. He steers moving ships. And so, go for it. If you sometimes feel like, I don't know what to do, I'm weighed down by, I'm just not sure, I'm not going to move until I have certainty, remember Acts 16, that God guides as we go. So remember that. Third principle, the Spirit and the Word work in tandem. Spirit leads as you move. Third, sometimes the Spirit says no or not right now. To be led by the Spirit sometimes means you hear a no or a not right now. So look, Paul and his friends, they're trying to go around. And what happens in verse 6? They were trying to go throughout the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So you can look this up on a map if you want, but basically Paul and his friends are in the region of Galatia, and they're thinking, where do we go next? So they try to take a turn to the southwest. And it says the Spirit of God wouldn't let them go into Asia. That's modern-day Turkey. The Spirit says, no, not right now. Later in Paul's life, he's going to get to the province of Asia. He's going to go to Ephesus, one of the big cities in the ancient world, and he's going to plant a big, healthy church. But not right now. The Spirit says, we're going to get there, but this is not the right time for it. And then if you go down to verse 7, it says from Galatia, Paul tries to go up to Bithynia. That's to the north. And there, the Spirit gives him a flat-out no. And Paul never goes to Bithynia. That's for someone else to go and start a church in that place. And what do we learn here? So important. Sometimes the leading of the Spirit is to tell you no or not right now. Sometimes the leading of the Spirit is a closed door. And that's important. We have to hear that because in our lives, sometimes there are moments, there are seasons where it seems like doors are closing, where things aren't happening. And you can feel like you've done something wrong. You can feel like, why are all these doors closing? Why isn't this working? But notice Paul's heart was in the right place. His motives were good. God just did have different plans for him. And more than that, we need to recognize that when doors close, that's still guidance. That's still an answer. When God says no, he's still leading you. And so here's my prayer. Here's my hope. That we as a church would begin to learn to rejoice in God's no's as much as we rejoice in his yeses. That we would be able to celebrate closed doors as much as open ones. And I know that's hard. Because sometimes closed doors, it's disappointing. There are things that we hoped for that we had our hearts set on. And it's hard to see those doors not open the way we hoped. But let's ask God to help us remember that even closed doors, even when the Spirit pushes us another way, that's still guidance. And that's still his presence with us. So sometimes the leading of the Spirit is to say no, or not right now. Fourth, the Spirit leads God's people through a combination of factors. 
I admit again, this can be a little frustrating because I want a formula. I want clarity. I want to know what's the formula that if I use it, I'll always know exactly what God wants me to do. But life doesn't work like that, neither does Christianity. So consider, in the book of Acts, there are 36 places where the Spirit of God guides people, where the Spirit of God tells people what to do. And when you look carefully at all those 36 times, what you discover is there's no single standard way the Spirit speaks. There's no set way that the Spirit guides people. So even here in Acts 16, we're told the door was closed to go to Asia. Paul couldn't get to Bithynia, but we're not told how the Spirit closed the door. We're told that he did, but not how he did. And what we learn as we look at the book of Acts, as we look here at Acts 16, is the Spirit of God will lead you, yes, but through a combination of factors. John Stott, writing about this very idea, puts it this way. How did the Spirit lead? It may have been through giving the missionaries a very strong and distinct impression on their hearts. Or maybe it was through some outward circumstance like illness or physical opposition or maybe a legal ban. Maybe they weren't physically allowed into those places. Or maybe it was through an utterance of a Christian prophet, maybe Silas himself. Now, these apostles must have been in a state of considerable perplexity wondering what God's plan and purposes were. For so far, their guidance had been almost entirely negative. But only now do they receive a positive lead. And in all of this, notice, we see that God led them by a combination of factors. And this is how it goes. In your life, if you're going to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, it's going to happen in varied ways. Sometimes it'll happen because a friend encourages you or tells you something. Other times it's going to happen because you have this strong, unshakable impression on your heart. Still other times you'll be reading scripture and God will take a truth in his word and make it alive and light it up. Still other times God will lead by physical, external circumstances like you didn't get into the school or you did. The spirit leads through a combination of factors. And this drives me crazy, I have to admit, and I also love it to the moon. Because it means that walking with God is a dynamic relationship. If the Spirit always led in the same way, then I could just plug and play. I could coast. But if the Spirit always leads through a combination of factors, that means that every single day, I have to rely on Him. I have to seek Him. I have to humble myself and say, show me, walk with me, guide me today. And I have to be willing to acknowledge that sometimes I get it wrong. More on that in just a second. But the Spirit leads through a combination of factors. And fifthly, again, we're just going through principles that we hold together to help us be more sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Fifthly, the Spirit leads us in community. Now, this is tricky. You got to hear me here. Just because someone says to you, God told me or God said I should tell you, and then they say something, that doesn't necessarily mean it's true or wise, or good. Just because a lot of people think something doesn't mean it's the word of God. We have to be careful about that. You're laughing. Some of you have seen this abused, and it's painful when you're on the other side of that. But with that important caveat in place that this is tricky to talk about, 
we don't want to underestimate the importance of saying that one of the ways God often leads his people is in and through the community of faith. And we see that here in Acts 16. Paul is not a one-man show. So look, verse 9. They try to go to Asia. They try to go to Bithynia. It doesn't work. Verse 9, Paul has a vision. It's a man. It's a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. Macedonia is in Europe. It's in another place. It wasn't on Paul's radar. But he has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. But then now look with me at verse 10. Look at what Paul does. After Paul had seen the vision, notice, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this is so nuanced and so important. Paul has a vision, verse 9. But what does verse 10 say? The community said, that's from God. We and us. And you see that word concluding? That word literally means to take various bits of data and to knit it together into a coherent whole. And what the text is saying is that when Paul, verse 9, has his vision, he comes to his friends and he says, guys, this is what God showed me. This is the direction I think we should go. And they consider together. They connect the dots. They reflect on their experience. They say, yeah, we tried to go to Asia. That didn't work. We tried to go to Bithynia. And I also think that's a good idea. Nobody else is going there. And they decide together, let's go. And they make that conclusion. The Spirit leads in community. So, on one hand, we acknowledge it's tricky. <laughs> community can be tough and messy. Absolutely. But on the other hand, God leads in and through his people. And so, community will be an important part of how you are led by the Spirit. That means being in close, thick relationships with other Christian brothers and sisters. And it means having space where we can share and listen to as we process what God is doing in our life. There's simply no substitute. Now, we hold this principle, by the way, in tension with the other four. But the Spirit leads in community. So, those principles, I think, as we soak ourselves in them, that's going to help us be a people that are led by the Spirit but not in the abstract. All of what I just said rests on the gift of grace. And that's where we're going to end our sermon today. All those principles, they rest on the gift of grace. I'll be the first to admit that as I've been working on this text and this sermon for a few weeks, it's been really convicting because we're talking about being led by the Spirit. And so often in my life, I feel so busy, I have no space to be led by the Spirit. I'm just on cruise control, just on autopilot, getting through each day. For others of us, there's a real fear and timidity. The Spirit is leading you to do things and you're afraid. You're afraid to take a step or to step out into the unknown. For others of us, there have been times where the Spirit closes the door and you want it so bad, you break it down. We don't follow the leading of the Spirit the way we should. We don't get it right most of the time. And the good news is there's grace. This passage shows us that in the leading of the Spirit, there's overwhelming grace for you. Let me show you two ways in which we see that. First, grace is sufficient to cover your missteps. Again, verses 6 and 7, the Spirit says, Nope, not Asia. Nope, not Bithynia. And if I'm Paul at that point, I'm saying everything I'm trying isn't working. 
And I'm starting to beat myself up a little bit and say, why can't I get it right? Why are all these doors closing? But notice how the Spirit of God relates to Paul. The Spirit doesn't say, yeah, Paul, geez, you can't read me. The Spirit doesn't say, you know, I gave you a couple of chances, you're not getting it, so you're out, next apostle. The Spirit, the spirit just says, yeah, I know you're trying. Nope, not Bithynia. No, okay, yep, Macedonia, that's it. There's gentleness and grace. There's incredible kindness and tenderness. There is such patience. The Spirit of God, the grace that is present that the Spirit works in our life, you have second chances, you have tenth chances, you have zillionth chances. The Spirit leads with such gentleness and grace. And not only is grace sufficient to cover our missteps, but it's grace which makes all of this effective in the first place. We're going to come back to the second part of the passage in a few weeks. But if you go down to verses 11 through 15, what do we see? Paul does get to Macedonia, and he goes to the river, and there's a community of people who are called God-fearers, or they're worshipers of God. They have a sensitivity to God, but they don't know Jesus yet. And Paul goes to them, and he preaches the gospel. And look at verse 14. As Paul's there preaching, it says, One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. Her name was Lydia. She dealt in purple cloth. That was high-end fashion. She was a worshiper of God. And notice, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Even after all this waiting and leading on the Spirit, it's God himself who makes the work effective. Paul did the preaching, but it's God who opened the heart. And you need to hear that, friends, because sometimes you feel a tremendous amount of pressure. If I make the wrong decision, if I go in the wrong direction, if I don't get it just right, then everything is going to fail and I'm not going to be accepted. God invites you into his work, but it doesn't depend on you. He's the one who opens hearts. He's the one who makes his work effective. And we just get to be part of the journey. We get to come along for the ride and see it. But everything is grace. Everything that happens is a gift. That's what we've been learning in the book of Acts. That's what we see as we consider what it means to lean on the Spirit. It's all grace. If if it was just up to us, we'd always get it wrong. But it's God who opens hearts. And of course he does. And this is where we'll close. Look back at verse 7. Why is it that the Spirit of God is gracious when you go the wrong way? Why is it that he opens hearts and grace makes everything effective? It's because the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus is gentle in heart. Jesus pours out grace even in our mistakes. The Spirit of Jesus is the one that walks with us and leads us. So today as we conclude Let's be a community that rests in grace as we learn to be led by the Spirit. Let's pray. Our God, thank you so much for Acts 16 and for grace which makes your leading in our lives possible. And so as we now sing and as we come to a time of baptism, right now today we pray for a clearer glimpse of Jesus, that we would see him as full of grace and truth. And that as we see Jesus, that we would be led by your spirit. That we would know that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you are guiding us. Help us to be a spirit-led church. We pray this all together in Jesus' name. Amen.